All of a sudden you graduate from art school. You have nothing to do, nothing to do. It's an interesting transition. So to me, you need to take that time. You might be in class and start to network, start to begin to find opportunities for you, places to show your work. The worst place you're gonna have your work is your studio. That's painter, commercial artist, the executive director of painting and printmaking at the School of Fine Art, Dr. Craig Nelson. And I'm not gonna talk too much uh, in the opening here because I say this with as little irony as possible. This really is a true master class in what it takes to be a painter, this talk right here. So please grab a pen and paper and take a lot of notes because if you've ever thought about being a painter, know someone who wants to be a painter or interested in actually purchasing painting and supporting the arts, then this conversation with Craig will really give you a whole lot of information, years worth of information in about an hour. So before we start with Craig, please hit subscribe on whatever device you're listening to so you never miss an episode of Creative Mind. I'm Bobby Brill, and thank you for listening. And here we are with Dr. Craig Nelson. You know, when people look at the Academy of Art or look at any art school and they watch any movie about art, it's always about a painter. It's always, you know, this giant romanticized world of being a painter. Even when you go to art school, if you're not into painting, there's something the hubris that comes out of you when you pick up a paintbrush is so good. How do you make a living as a painter? You have to have thick skin first and you have to be, besides being good, let's start with that. Okay. That, 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 that that hurdle. If you're good, that really helps. And like I, I say to students all the time, what we're the main thing we work at at school as we teach is to get you good, just using that simple word, good. Once you get to that point, a lot of it is aggressiveness. How aggressive, how much you are gonna take the bull by the horns and go out there and thrust yourself into what we would call the market. The market is, it's very hard to define. It's not like if you're gonna go to work for an animation company, it's different. It's a different market. In the painting market, it's up to you. You have to come up with pricing. You have to come up with the way you present your work, it being framing, unframed. You have to come up with a consistency of style. You have to come up with enough information about yourself to make you, it's a good friend of mine, a very successful good friend of mine who's an artist said, you have to create a perception of yourself. Let me give you a simple example. If you go to a coffee shop tomorrow, and you're there and all of a sudden Denzel Washington walks in, you go, whoa, there's Denzel Washington, right? He's created a, a, a persona. Artists, we don't have that kind of, of a, a platform to create that kind of persona, but anything that you can do, and that has to do with social media, it has to do with printed media, it has to do with entering shows, getting your name out there. So when all of a sudden someone meets you, they think, whoa, I know your work. And they look, at you, they look at you differently than if they don't. You know, if they don't know your work, then they go, oh, well, I really like this. But if all of a sudden they, they meet you and they maybe have seen or heard your name before, there is a perception that you are important. You're somebody. You're somebody. That's interesting because you're, you're basically, you know, what every entrepreneur you know, in the last 15 years on social media and YouTube is telling you, you need to build your brand. That's it. That's it. And the word brand is, is maybe overused, but that's exactly correct. You have to create the perception that you are somebody. In other words, another important thing is, you know, there are, are many ways to make a living as a painter. I mean, many, many people do kind of what I do where part of your income is from teaching. And I started teaching in 74, one day a week as, but I didn't do it so much for income. I did it for the social I was such a hermit as an artist that I really needed to interact with people. And I realized it. And I realized I was pretty good at it. And so I taught a little more. But that's only one aspect because I never wanted to give up the art side. I haven't. I still am passionate about it. And that's a word I could probably use in conjunction with building the brand is passion. You have to be passionate about creating art because if you're not, when you get out of school, you don't have a deadline. You know, you go through four years of art school, as I did. You go through four years of art school and maybe even two and a half years of grad school. But let's say you go through four years of art school 
And during that four years, unbeknownst to you, you had a cocoon. That cocoon is the school. In other words, you have a class and you learn in that class and something is due the next week or the week after. Uh, Tuesday um, at 10, I know what I'm doing. Yeah, so you know that Tuesday at 10, I have to have this done and it has to be great. And so you work for that. All of a sudden you graduate from art school. You have nothing due, nothing due. It's an interesting transition. So to me, you need to take that time. You might be in class and start to network, start to begin to find opportunities for you, places to show your work. The worst place you can have your work is your studio. I, it's a line I use all the time. It's absolutely true. Just an illustrator. When I have illustrators take classes from me, the worst place you can have your work, your portfolio is in your studio, in your home. It's got to be out there. It's got, It's the same as a painter. You've got to get your work out there. The more places you get your work, the more people that know you, the more that you begin to build a little bit of that persona. That's awesome. Because I mean, that that's something that, you know, so many of us, doesn't matter if we're painting or not, need to hear. Every time I hear somebody I talk to say that, I'm like... I hope my portfolio is not sitting in front of me and, and laughing at me now because I'm sure it is. But you know, <laughs> one of the things I want to really jump into, because I think that's something that if you're a painter or if you're thinking about going to art school, whether you're fresh out of high school or you're later in life or you know, you're a parent or the support staff for a student, what are those initial jobs, those, those styles of work or those examples of work that a painter does. And I mean, the first one I'm going to ask you about is commissions, because we were talking about that before we started, and that sounds amazing. So tell me about commissions, and then we'll kind of go through some of the ideas. Okay, so think about it. How do you get commissions? You get commissions by, and it depends on, there's different kinds of commissions. For example, because I've taught for so long, I've had students go out and become successful, and I've learned from them. I've learned, I knew stuff, but I learned more. Because they took an avenue that I wasn't aware of. And all of a sudden I went, wow, I've got to plant that up here so I can pass that on to students. So one of them is interior designers. Many people get interior designers to go out and purchase or commission artwork for if they're redoing their place. No, number one, if someone's redoing a place, they could probably afford artwork right because i mean when you were telling me that and and that that it was that it's almost like you know this is a hard thing to to grasp and it's it's that cynical art versus commerce thing you know that that and everybody i talked to uh about that we talked to sherry warren and she talked about you know she was hitting me over the head with a hammer about making money and it's like that's right somebody who's really rich who's going to have a multi-million dollar home can afford to go, I want a painting of something that looks like this in this color right over the fireplace. Sure. Do it. And that happens. And the other thing. But uh, is that is that, a, is that a common commission or is that like a, to, a like, oh my gosh, we're, it's really hard to find. You have to link with interior designers. The, uh, the couple people that I know got into interior designers through getting their work framed. The framer would frame for interior designers. The framer linked them up. One of them was doing a lot of school kind of real nice abstract of still lifes and the interior designer would just give them color swatches and say, I want something like that, like you've already done similar and in these colors because I'm, and they give them a scale. So that happens. Now the key is, and this is something that I, I really, I, I also teach workshops besides teaching at the Academy. I tell people, and I also tell this to my students at the Academy when we're on location, I said, Hey, if someone comes up to you, and they said, oh, I like that. How much is that? You know, the worst thing you can do? Uh, I don't know. You've got to sound confident. So I said, figure out what something would be worth to you. And if you don't want to say it, if you don't want to sell it, don't say, well, it's not for sale. Say, well, it's already sold. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So, I mean, again, it creates a little bit of an aura as to who you are. But I think it's very important that if you need to establish price lists, it's something we can get into later because that's a, we, we do that towards the end of the education at the academy. Because pricing is really, I guarantee, you know, pricing is so difficult. Um, yeah, I think for any artist, I mean, whether you're a photographer, you know, painter, illustrator, pricing is like, you're going to give me money. The first thing you want to say is just give me whatever you have. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take well, it. That's one, that's one of the things you could do. You can always ask, what's your budget? 
And a lot of whether you accept it or not is how bad you need to work. If you need, you know, people always thought, have thought for years, hell, I was even taught this when I was in school. If you are a fine artist, what that means as a painter, what that means is you do work for you. You do your own thing. And whether it sells or not is never a concern. You're financially stable enough to do that. Congratulations, more power to you. Uh, 99% of people that go through and become painters are not that financially stable. So they have to think about how am I going to turn this? We're creating magic. We're taking a, a canvas, a flat piece of paper. And because we have learned well how to orchestrate marks on that that have meaning to someone else, that's what we're doing. We're creating, on a, we're selling them a canvas or we're selling them a piece of aluminum or a piece of, of hardboard or a piece of birch with paint on it. And it's simple. But because we've all been trained to make those marks have meaning, whether you're a realist or an abstract artist, doesn't matter because they all have meaning. They all resonate with somebody, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So so then, you know, let's kind of go down the list that you and I came up with before we, we got into this, because, you know, there's a lot of things that people think about when they think about a painter. The first thing, the first time we often see paintings, a framed painting up on a wall is in a museum. And of course, that means you can't touch it. Or if you have some peripheral information like, ooh, that was a million dollar painting. But the other way is, is a gallery. And, and shows and how, how does that work? How does the how does the gallery and show world work when you're a fine artist? How do you get into that world? Start with gallery because they're two different they're two different entities. Galleries are looking for an artist that they can sell and make money. They're not looking for an artist necessarily that is the next great innovator. They will take them if they think they can sell them. Their wall space. When a gallery looks at their wall space, they look at their wall spaces. In other words, a gallery has overhead. So they look at their wall spaces. This wall is worth $10,000. So I can't take an artist. I'm just using that as a figure. I can't. These are maybe your higher end galleries. I can't take an artist who has really low prices. So they're going to take probably a more established artist simply because that established artist has already built a little bit of a following. When you come out of school, generally, you don't have a following. So generally what happens is you go into what is often referred to as an emerging gallery. Emerging galleries are generally not in the heart of all the, get where a gallery row would be in any particular, a little bit on the periphery, but many of them are spectacular. We, we had one here in San Francisco, uh, Thomas Reynolds Gallery, it's not there anymore. But they were way out on Pine and Fillmore or something like that, not right in the heart. Not, of yeah, not in the thick of it. And they had great art, but the prices are a little lower. Rents are a little lower. Prices tend to be a little bit lower. The work, caliber of the work, you know, someone could come out of school and be better than, a lot better than me. And that's very feasible. It's not, hopefully it doesn't happen too often, but, but it is feasible. They probably won't get my price simply because I've built a following. So they're going to have to go through that thing about building a following. So when you go into a gallery, they're looking for a body of work. And that doesn't mean one piece or two piece. It also doesn't mean like a school portfolio. A school portfolio, well, look, I took a head painting class. I took a figure drawing class. I took an expressive class. I took a surrealism. I took a landscape. So you have all these. Well, the gallery looks at it and they go, well, that, they're all pretty nice, but who are you? And because they have to sell you as, the gallery has to sell you as the artist that does waterfalls or the artist that does giant graphic abstracts. Or they can't sell you as, look at these beautiful graphic, large graphic abstracts, and look at this beautiful little portrait here, same artist. It doesn't go. They, they want a cohesive body of work. So that's the first thing. And say eight to 10 pieces, at least. Most galleries say 10 pieces. They want to see 10 solid pieces of cohesive work. To me, that sounds like a lot of work. It's, it depends well, on is that the, the level of output to be successful or to start the path of being successful that people need to start thinking about? Yes, you have to think about that. We had a young student, uh, well, I shouldn't say young student, we had a, he wasn't a youngster, but he wasn't old, who went through, who said when he graduated, he was good in pretty everything he did, but the kind of paintings he wanted to do came about three months. And I said, so let's do some math here. So how much do you, how much do you think you need a year to live on? I don't know. Well, think about it. Figure your monthly expenses. Multiply it times 12. You got your yearly income, right? 
So one every three months, that to me is four paintings a year, right? So let's say you need $80,000. I'm just using that as a figure simply because it can divide easily by four. You have to make off of each one of those four paintings, $20,000. You have to make that. Now, the gallery is going to take 50%. That means your paintings have to go for 40,000. As an emerging artist, there's no way that your paintings are going to go for 40,000. So you literally, ha you have to think about that as output. I mean, I'm often asked, how long does a painting take me? When, when I <laughs> right. <laughs> when can I get it? A painting takes me anywhere from one to seven days. Okay. Generally, wow. I, I don't spend more than seven days on a painting, generally. Occasionally on portraits, I may. But generally, I don't spend a lot longer than that. So, And was that is that something you developed intentionally or was that just the way you paint and the style you've developed and what and how you like to present your work? It's the way I developed. I didn't intentionally. And everybody's going to be different here. I have found, and I've, I've talked to students about this, I have a, a relatively shorter interest span. Generally, I can go longer than that. I mean, many, many years ago when I was illustrating, I would spend longer because there would be a lot of development before we get to the finished painting. But when you show a gallery, they generally want to see about 10 pieces. Gallery doesn't want, they're not going to take you. If you say I only do four pieces a year, unless you're a Rembrandt, they're not going to take you because they can't, they know they, they need to depend upon you supplying them a certain amount of pieces. Now, all, all galleries don't ask this, but I knew the John Pence Gallery here in San Francisco, they're, they're no longer very classical. One of the top galleries in San Francisco for, for any sort of realism. John, uh, what, when he would interview an artist, he wanted to know how many paintings they produced a year. It was one of the questions that he asked them. I never thought of that, but he told me, he said, I need to make sure they're going to be able to give me enough inventory, particularly if they're with other galleries. Because most artists are worth more than one gallery if they're in gallery. So whether you're giving a gallery seven pieces a year, whether you're giving a gallery 20 pieces a year, that's up to you. I mean, that's literally up to you. That's one of the reasons that a gallery wants to see 10 cohesive pieces. Oh, and, 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 you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm going, that does make sense because you know there is that art and commerce discussion all the time where if you look at it from a sales point of view, and any one of us who's ever been stuck working retail at the lowest end goes, well, if, you, you, if they're going to take 50% of the pay... 50% yeah. of that price, they want to sell a lot of it because like you said, they've got overhead and we should, you know, there's that thing of like, I should help them sell my stuff so they can give me more money. Yeah. Which is, you know, as you're explaining that, I'm thinking, oh, that that's something we often, you know, lose sight of or never want to admit or just kind of put on the back burner. <laughs> Let me give you another instant about galleries. There are people say, I don't want to give a gallery 50%. Well, nobody wants to. <laughs> right. But if you're not, then how are you going to sell your work? You have to be invest in a lot of promotion. Galleries not only have overhead, they have advertising, they have staffing, they have people on social media constantly. Plus, galleries handle taxes. You don't have to charge sales tax. Gallery takes care of sales tax. They report the sales tax because this goes into our business class that I was telling you about. There's a lot going on. I learned this as a commercial artist before I went into fine art. And one of the nice, gallery handles all of that. So you just get a check. They sell it, you get a check. They do all the contacting. Hopefully they've got a following and they already got a big mailing list if they've been in business for any length of time. So there is a there is an asset. So when I hear people poo-poo galleries and talk them down, I say, wait a minute, I understand. No one wants to give 50%. No one wants to. But you know, I'm more valuable if I'm painting than if I'm out there as a salesman. And I, not only that, I don't sell my own work very well. I'm not a real good, I don't push, I can push, if you gave me a painting, I could push your painting a heck of a lot easier than I could push my own because I don't. <clears throat> and then what's that old out of 50% of nothing is still nothing. Exactly. Okay. Um, well, okay. We may come back to galleries, but that, that makes some sense. 
Uh, well, for galleries also too, for students and for anybody thinking about it, is it more important to try and push for New York or London or should, you know, we see galleries everywhere. I mean, we're based in California. You and I are in California. And, you know, it, it seems ubiquitous that if you're in a beach community, small or large, there's going to be a handful of galleries of varying quality. Any art student or anybody walks in can go, well, I can do that. Well, you didn't do that. You're not in a gallery. So that's another conversation. Yeah, but I, I hear that a lot. <laughs> right. To start with a gallery, you know, beyond emerging galleries, how do you start thinking about what you want to do as a or how do you start looking at what gallery you want to go into? Is it just, hey, somebody accepted me? Or do you <laughs> get very, um, do you actually, you know, is, is there a proper path to navigate for the gallery world? I won't say it's proper, but I would say you want to do a little bit of research. You mentioned beach communities. It's really vacation communities where people congregate and go on vacation and want to get things and spend. Yeah, that there are people that will buy work. And generally, they will buy regional work. In other words, if people go to uh, Hawaii, generally, they're not going to buy a, a painting from the Grand Tetons. So generally, that happens. Really, I believe that you look for galleries that has work similar to yours, but not exactly like yours. Because if they are already fit, in other words, if you're a if you're basically a realist or an impressionist and you see a gallery and all they show is really modern abstract minimalism don't approach them i mean it's, <laughs> okay. not, it's wrong. Well, it makes sense and yeah. and the converse is is true also if you're doing that you're not going to go to a gallery that shows figure so that's one of the things research if you can start relatively local it makes it easier very simply because you can drop your work off. You do not have to package it and ship it somewhere. Um, sure, no, another cost we, we, we kind of are, oh, are yeah. forgetting about. Yep. I'm in a gallery on the other, in the East Coast. And uh, I, I know the shipping is, and then you have to think about how you're going to present your work. So I usually tell people start local. Here Now, one of the things that occurs is they can't get accepted in galleries. I've had students get out, couldn't get accepted in gallery. Or they didn't know. They don't, I don't know where. And... Again, I go back to the worst place to have your own work is your studio, all right? So I know a couple of people, it was a hospital in San Francisco that was hanging their work and they'd have their first show at this hospital. I haven't heard of it for a few years and they did okay. They did okay. It all got their work out there. People saw it. Art fairs, if you can afford to get into an art fair, generally it's cost about 500 bucks to get into an art fair, maybe less depending on the community. But I know artists that have been picked up by galleries at art fairs. And, and, ju and just to clarify, art fairs are, because I, I wanted to ask you about that too on my list, because again, it's, you know, if you're in California or on the East Coast, if you're in a beach community, there's always a lot of art walks, art fairs, Sunday in the park, farmer's markets, things like that, that, you know, you know we're, we, they all sound anti-art, but when you see somebody who has their booth that has either all of their artwork or several people in their artwork, that, you know, you're saying that is a, a viable way to begin a career or propel a career? There is, it's you do what you have to do. I do, I knew a, one of our graduates years, years ago, uh, went all over the United States going to art fairs. And, but there are art fairs that are big, like Sausalito in San Francisco, Sausalito Art Festival, that's a big one. I mean, I've been in that. It's $1,000 to get into it. And in fact, I had a double booth. I paid $2,000. Right. Um, so that, that alone you means you, you, you got to have some work and you've got to be charging. Yeah, you've got to be, better. be hustling. <laughs> but it's a great training ground. We had a young lady graduate, oh my God, maybe a year, year before the pandemic. Her goal was her and her husband, they didn't have children at the time, they bought the, the portable uh, kind of booth for mm -hmm. the display. Yeah, little pop tents and all those things. All that, everything you need. And their whole thing was to go around the country doing art fairs. And I know people that have made a lot of money doing that. Also, a way to begin to build your name. It's a way to get galleries interested. So there's, there's many restaurants. I was in a restaurant uh, in San Francisco, and I saw, a, I contacted the artist, a phenomenal pastel artist, just a beautiful stuff. They were all for sale, but I got the name. And unfortunately, uh, she lived in Minnesota and couldn't come and teach it. This is pre-online. Okay. Again, a lot of a, a lot of the 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 cynical snickering of uh, every coffee shop's got a bunch of photos in it, and every coffee shop's got a bunch of paintings in it. That's still a legitimate way of of thinking about it. You can't poo-poo that. You know what? 
I've got a line that I often use, and a career is a journey. A career is not where you start. Everybody starts different. People start as an illustrator. I think the first thing I did was a $80 interior drawing, which was not my forte. Black and white. <laughs> or Jack in the box. Uh, you know, paid three hundred dollars. You think I did little drawings of uh, silver chalices at thirty bucks a pop from a company in L.A. It was a way to start. It's a journey. And when I first started showing artwork, you know, there's some galleries that just went, eh, I like it, but I don't think I can sell it. And eventually, one gallery led to another, led to another, and pretty soon, it's it's been word of mouth for someone like myself. But that's that's after many years of building your name. And my name isn't huge. I mean, I don't spend enough time building it because I teach. So that that's an important. The venue where you show your work. Uh, I've heard I've talked to artists who are really hot on putting them into escrow offices because people are buying houses. Huh. Interesting. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Huh, huh. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that one down as we speak going, you know, I got a whole bunch of really pretty photos sitting in a portfolio somewhere. <laughs> you just don't know. But the thing of it is, is, and I, I, we talked about this a couple of days ago, it's persistence and perseverance. That's what you have to have on the business side. The art side, you should always keep working on because that's your passion. But the, the persistence and the perseverance is something you have to deal with in business. Just don't it's the same with entering shows, which we started talking about. You're going to enter shows and you're going to get rejected. And you're going to enter shows and you're going to get accepted. And you're going to enter shows and you're going to get awards. So here's the deal. I talked about rejection. I talked about awards. When you get rejected, don't feel too bad. When you get a, an award, it's okay to feel good about it. But don't think that you're hot stuff. <laughs> okay. Okay. The next show you can get rejected from. So it's, it's like... But entering shows is another way to build your name. So the, the shows are, are the, the calling cards, the, the tear sheets for us old folk who it, know what a tear sheet is. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that word. <laughs> oh, now you're making me feel old. <laughs> but yes, well, I've, I've got a garage full of tear sheets if you want some. By the way. <laughs> uh, but seriously, if you could get into a few shows, you, you're building a resume. So when you do approach galleries, if they say, oh, this show, this show, maybe I maybe won an honorable mention, maybe an award, you know, do it, do it. Go get rejected. Go ahead. I mean, you're gonna. I tell you, we're very interesting. Absolutely true story. I tell this all the time to many of my classes that because we have an annual spring show, which, you know. Yeah. And the spring show, I'm going to toot the Academy's horn hard on this is fabulous. Oh, Having cool. graduated from art school myself, every time I go into the, the spring show, my confidence goes to the floor because hey. your students are amazing. Not only that, they make me want to work harder because I see how good some of these young people really are. The point of it is, is as I was mentioning, the spring show, we get a lot of students, we get a lot of rejections. So about one out of five pieces that are entered gets in. So we get a lot of people hanging their heads and said, hey, it, it may be, it could be the judges, it could be the category, it could be anything. I'll tell you a simple story. Back probably 35 years ago, maybe longer, I entered a show in LA. During that time, we entered 35 millimeter slides. They were reviewed. Okay. So I entered and was a few pieces i got some in and this one piece that i like quite a bit was rejected i just kind of took it as it's okay i got you know you enter enter six and four were accepted and two were rejected so set those two about two years go by i'm reviewing my slides and i run across this slide again that's i really like that piece i'm going to enter it enter the same show but it was obviously two years later i won an award <laughs> been rejected two years it goes to show you I mean, that, that to me was probably one of the biggest telltale. And that's absolutely the truth. Absolutely. Yeah, I can totally believe it. I, I see it. Yeah. It proved something to me that don't take it too hard either way. Don't get too high on your highs or too low on your lows. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Both that, yeah, that may, yeah, it's 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 funny you say that because you know even at the beginning we were talking about branding and of course anybody that has to do the Instagram and the trending and oh what's what's hot what's not it's like yeah two years from now three years from now it could be the coolest thing ever you're just that innovative <laughs> that, that could be it that could be it and it could be who's responding who who and a lot of your a lot of sales are luck I hate to use that word sure absolutely absolutely. Because 
the right person has to see the right piece at the right time and have the cash to be able to purchase that piece. All those things have to be in sync. Right. Yeah. That, you know, as you mentioned that, I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure there is the, the cash flow and the market and the economy that pays a massive role in, in this kind of stuff that, you know, you're not even thinking about when you're, you know, putting pen to, to canvas and ink to our, canvas. A lot of artists, I, I know what was told to me when I was starting. And I said, I do believe this to this day. If you're gonna if you're gonna give a gallery ten pieces, have a blow away piece. So it's just gonna suck people right into make them come up to your work. Then have some mediocre sizes. I don't mean pieces, I mean sizes. Then have some little ones that are more affordable. And if they can't get that, they might be able to get that or that. Oh wow, yeah, interesting. So the giant window piece that turns all the heads, but uh, the uh, the small wallet size, as it were, yeah. um, you know, is affordable for. That may, pay, so that may be your bread and butter. Yeah, and right. Truthfully, you may be able to do those a little quicker. I don't know. But I think everybody will find their niche. I'm not saying even what I just said is true for every artist. Every artist will find their niche. That niche may change over time. It doesn't stay the same. I want to come back to the type of work that sells, but I, I want to ask you one question about, you know, because I know the, again, I want to promote the Academy on this because I think it's fascinating, uh, especially that, you know, the school's in San Francisco and it's, it kind of dovetails into gentrification around the country, but the mural work that the Academy does is just utter amazing. I mean, hotels and buildings and walls and, and you were telling me that if you're a fine artist who's doing stuff on canvas, that's still viable as a career? Oh, yeah. So being director, I feel responsible for the students. I want them to get a great education. I also want to try and inspire them to go out and do, you know, be that entrepreneur that they need to be. Everybody isn't like that. Some people, just, that isn't their, in their DNA. So, and I, I brought up commissions. Murals are another form of commission. Okay. It also falls into that gray area. Is it really fine art? Right. Is it illustration? Is, is it, it paint? Art? Is it a crew paint. that just throws paint where you drew an outline? It is another way for an artist, a painter, to be able to go out and make a living. And it's going on all over the small, you go, go to Indianapolis, go to some of these, not that's a small town, but you go to some of the, even the smaller communities and you'll find murals. Murals pay very well. And there are many stages to doing a mural. There's the negotiation stage where you work it out as to what they want, what they're looking for. Then there's the sketch. Then there's the maquette, which is the smaller painting. So let's say I'm going to do a mural and I do a paint. I'm going to do it this big. I'm going to do a... They're going to like a, ten, a 10 inch by 20 inch to the, yeah. to the half city block version. They're going to prove it. I have to budget in there any of the equipment and supplies I might need if I need scaffolding. I need help, but there are murals that pay $250,000. Oh my gosh. Okay. Wow. Okay. So that, that, that's a, that's a, that's a very simple answer to that question of, is this a viable, is painting by numbers viable? Yes, it is. Okay. There are murals that pay $10,000. So, well, still, I mean that, you know, and then years ago, I can't tell you how many years ago I kind of toyed. I don't know how I came up with this. I really don't. I, I wish I could. I think I was driving to San Francisco and I saw a mural on the side on, I was driving down Columbus street and noticed this mural of some piano players and it was good. It was, and I thought, you know what, we need to develop a class in that. So I gathered my faculty together. I said, any of you guys got experience at that time, Carol Dunley, one of our, she's not, she's not uh, teaching for us anymore. She actually retired, but she said, yeah, I used to, I used to work for Brown and Dave, I can't remember the name of the company. And then Mural Works I said, do you know how to budget? Do you know how to, she goes, yep. I said, let's sit down and develop a class. So we sat down and we developed a class and we got, I'm trying to remember what our first mural was. Oh, it was in the Tenderloin. First mural happened to be in the Tenderloin. We got it through a connection through the Academy because the Academy gets approached to do events and things like this. And so we worked out a budget uh, and the money went to the students. It wasn't, it was a small budget. It was, I mean, these are all pro bono almost with a, and that little bit of money that we very often give away at our spring show to the mural students that were in the mural class. And so we did it. It came out pretty good. I didn't think it was our strongest. Actually, it was our second mural now that I think of it. The first mural happened almost before I developed the class. And it was at the uh, Mitchell Brothers on 
<laughs> the old, the old uh, Fair Mitchell Brothers uh, Theater. <laughs> whales, w whales flying, in, and that's what they wanted. So we, again, we went through the whole process, did it, came out great. Then we did a second one, and pretty soon we were getting calls. The school was getting calls, and so we were kind of picking murals. We were picking our projects because we did we did a, one of the most complicated ones we did for a firehouse. It was dynamite. It came out. It was really complex. I went in there on Saturdays along with a couple of our faculty members to help them because they were behind. Because they do it in the course of a semester. But they learned budgeting. And several of them went out on their own afterwards and have really started to develop a career in mural. Right. Because I, I know we, you know, we worked with Carol and, you know, the Cova Hotel in the Tenderloin. Yes. And did a massive one. And, I, and you know, seeing that, that process. Pop, or was that the one down? They did, she did, they did two for the Cova. The one that went the entire side of the building. I mean, again, as somebody who went to art school and, you know, I remember talking to some of the students going, do you understand you just made something that will be seen by more people than you are going to see your work for a very long time? If ever, <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, really? Uh, you know, I'm just, just, just having fun." Like, please take this seriously. They also learned the process of everything from the budgeting to ordering scaffolding to they learned along with how to blow it up, you know, grid it up in scale from the maquette, and then actually how to do it and and the procedure. And it usually is about we what. It came to us about five weeks of preliminary work and 10 weeks of production. And so one of the things I, they had done one, I think for the COVA right before, and it was, and the, before that at the firehouse, they were so complicated, so complicated. And I said, I kind of felt guilty because they always brought it to me for approval because I was quality control for the department. And sometimes I'd go in and help, but they were so complicated. I should have said, there's no way you guys can get this done in 10 weeks. Yes, I didn't. So when they did the big one for the COVA, I, I remember talking to Carol before the guys, keep it simple, Carol. Remember on that last one? Because, you you know, they semester ends and you still have three weeks worth of work to do on it. It's a very incredible learning process. Obviously, with COVID, we haven't been able to do any. So. But but, um, uh, but that'll change. I want to I want to briefly touch before we go on to some of the other things that, you know, on the types of work. Uh, that are available to a painter because I know you do it and it's something that is very common because I think everybody who is a working artist gets asked at one point hey can you show me how to do this and it seems that teaching is a very it's almost like hand in glove to being an artist I think and it's a learning experience it's another learn most artists begin as they really develop their own thing a lot of it is training they had, and then a good portion of it is intuitive. As you teach, you have to find a way to explain that intuitive, and you learn a lot about what you do, your own process. The other good thing about teaching, most artists, I don't know how other artists are. I know I am a very unorganized person. My studio, my studio right now, I've got stuff there, there. there. Don't, don't move that pile. That's my thinking pile. <laughs> so as I go to get something that I need to work on, I'm knocking something else over. Teaching, on the other hand, I'm organized about. Very, you have to be very organized in setting up a curriculum. I mean, I, I was fortunate in that I had 16 years worth of teaching experience before I became a director at the academy. And that helped me a lot understand how to set up a whole curriculum, an eight semester curriculum up, and then you know work with teachers over the years we've developed I'm going to use my terminology, world-class faculty. These guys are good. I, I am, always, you know, again, I mean, you know, part of my job at the Academy is to help you guys create the video, the online classes. And every time I've met some of the instructors, I mean, uh, Adam Caldwell, uh, you, Kevin Woodsy, I, I look at this stuff and I'm going, oh my gosh, holy cow. And, and, and I can come hang out with you and you're going to teach me how to do this? Well, that's the whole thing is that we want our students, we want incoming students. We're actually right at present working on trying to do develop small 45 second videos, some of the work and some comments by different instructors. Because when I was 19, 18, looking at art schools, I actually had a scholarship to one art school, didn't take it. As I went, I did not like the work. I said, I don't, this isn't what I want to do. I didn't want to just, I wasn't looking at just the money. 
I was looking at the four years of time that I was going to put in and I wanted to get good. That was, so I chose an art school based on the work that I saw by the students and the instructors. Which makes sense. That's, that's the right, that makes total sense. I didn't get, I didn't get a scholarship. I did. I think after my fourth semester, I, I, I was able to, uh, but I didn't choose an art school based on the cost. I chose an art school based on, in fact, I chose one of the more expensive art schools, but it was based on the work that I saw being done. I went, man, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I always think if a 19-year-old, hell, for that matter, a 30, 40-year-old, depends, because we in fine art get a huge array of ages. But if you start to see four or five instructors working, you say, oh my God, I can actually go study with this guy. I can study with this girl. I can learn. I can pick their brain, watch them work, have them help me work. My God, to me, that's that's the best thing in the world. You know, it's like I don't want to compare our people to uh, to Rembrandt or anybody, but or John Singer Sargent. But if those guys were alive, and all of a sudden you saw, I could go study with that person. Are you kidding me? Holy smoke! So I'm not comparing our people to that, but we have dynamite instructors who whose technical facility and understanding of creating great art is, I don't, it's hard to say it's paralleled in a school environment. You're going to find individuals that are great, but to find that group of individuals within the, the faculty of a school, that's, that's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm only going to back that up just by saying, I know me and my colleagues, anytime I've walked out any of the halls, I've, my head just turns and I just kind of stop and go, wow, <laughs> this work is insanely good. And I'm not saying that, you know, obviously we're, we're, you know, we're trying to promote the school and, and we're, you know, we're going to say nice things, but I am always legitimately flabbergasted at the amount of work and at the quality of the work and the instructors and then the instructors themselves. And you're just like, wow, this is, this is otherworldly. This is, this well, is amazing stuff. Simply when I came here in 90 and, and took over the director, they had about 49 students. We've grown immensely. And then pandemic has brought it down a little bit, but one of the things I wanted it to be great, maybe more for ego purposes than to make the school great. I, I wanted to be associated with something that really produced great artists. If I, if I was going to put my time and energy into it, that's what I, I was after. And, you know, we've got it pretty much. And then we have a lot of self-respect. I mean, I shouldn't say self-respect, respect within the department where the, the genre of an abstract artist appreciates a more traditional realistic artist. The realistic artist appreciates the mixed medium artist. And we all work together as a unit. I taught at a school where that wasn't the case prior to coming here. And they were bad-mouthing each other with department. And we've developed the other direction, which I'm really pleased about. And our goal, truthfully, and I know this, I'm speaking for every instructor we have, our goal is to make whoever comes into our class a better artist by the end of that 15-week period, and then have them go on from there. And then, you know, we, we have, I still am in contact with people that graduated uh, almost 30 years ago. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, that, yeah, that's, that's testament alone. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit back to the business side, because I know, because I mean, again, again, I can't stress this enough. The work is so amazing. It really is. I mean, I, I you know, anybody that looks at the work the students do again, it's, it's like, oh man, this stuff is so good. The type of work a painter does. And I mean, I know there's a lot of different styles of painting figurative still life landscape you, you mentioned mixed media uh and in fine art you have even more things as you get into printmaking and you know even sculpture uh as we get out of painting but when somebody wants to start thinking about work that sells because we talked about you know you have to you know figure out the work you want to do and you know the work that someone's going to buy can you talk a little bit about if somebody is a figurative painter or a still life painter or a landscape painter, what are some quick tips or some things they should be thinking about on the business side of, of those things? So you know, let's start with figurative, which, which seems to be the, the pinnacle of painting a human that's recognizable as a human that somebody can look at and go, that's a human doing something. Is that something that sells a lot or is that something that is uh, a harder sell? Harder sell. Really? Why? Let me first state it this way. Generally, 
there's a line that is used. People don't necessarily want people hanging on their walls that they don't know. <laughs> okay, right. Okay. <laughs> what has been told to me is, and I'm speaking for on my behalf, I'm a figurative painter primarily. I've, I've broadened greatly, but that's how I started. So I've sold them to other artists. But generally speaking, a, a figure that is more profile, more involved in the environment, that has a mood, that's more of the kind of content that does sell better. It's like nudes. Nudes generally are not a big seller. We study nudes. We study in art school like crazy because the human form, the nude, is one of the classic forms of art of all times. Now, when you move into the portrait, commission portrait, that's a different story because that's where they do want someone they know hanging on their walls. So whether it's their children, I do portraits primarily for organizations uh, because they have the money. You know, whether it be at a university, a large corporation, things of like that, a few, a few individuals. And the other thing, as I said, figures in environment. Figures involved. They could be reading a book. Andrew Wyatt has got great paintings of figures sleeping. Just a man sleeping. I mean, it can be anything. It can be, I've done two or three paintings of my wife with a glass of wine on the table. She calls it, my wife is a wino series. <laughs> it's again, uh, you know, as I'm, as you're saying these things, like who, do you want a picture of somebody you don't know on your wall at the simplest think it's like, Oh, huh. Do I? And more importantly, is someone going to pay me money? And this is not saying you can't do that, but it is interesting to think, Oh, is somebody going to, want that. Now you get people that buy art for different reasons. They buy art for color. They buy art for subject matter. They buy art for style. They buy art often for decoration. And then your true collectors buy art for quality. They, even though they may have, um, you know, and I, I probably sell to all those people. And I think most artists do. You want those true collectors because they're going to buy the, the great pieces. But generally, the other reasons are the people people buy for color. They buy for design, too. In other words, is that design striking? But that's part of color. For subject matter, people buy beaches. People buy mountains. I had a neighbor that loved, he said, he says, I, and I was just doing people at the time, so he never bought any of my work. But he showed me a painting he just bought. He said, I said, Bob, why do you like that painting? He says, I feel like I can walk back into it and get lost. It's interesting. That's neither a right or wrong. All I'm saying is when you talk to people, people buy paintings for different reasons. And whatever the reason is, God bless them, huh? Because right. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about, because I know, I know the work that you're doing, and I know I see a lot of students do it. And it's, it's, a, it's one of my favorite genres of painting is the still life or the environment with no one in it. And it, and it, it seems it's hard. It, it, it's one of those. It, it's like the painting of the cafe or the, the painting. Like, yeah, yeah. Not many people can see it, but I'm going to take a screenshot of it but, um, but. to have it. But the cafe with the wine glasses and that mood and that environment, you know, I could hang a picture on a wall, but. People love that. Just a classic still life. I don't know if there, it's a big seller. Uh, there's a lot of people painting some, there's a, one of our instructors, she's not teaching class for us this semester, Carol Tarzier. She's also a phenomenal sculptor. I, I own one of her sculptures, but she's a spectacular still life painter and real gutsy, she's just got power and stuff. And then we've got another instructor, Greg Gandy. Greg does these impeccable, gorgeous still lifes. And then we've got a third, Kevin Moore, who I just bought a piece of his. It's a Pepsi can that's been crushed. That's more of a contemporary bend on still life. So still life can go back to traditional, a wine glass, some grapes. They can go into that, or they can become close-ups of interiors. Like you said, a table with two wine glasses on it, a couple of chairs. There's a suggestive narrative there, a table for two. Someone might buy that because it's good, it resonates somehow with them. I did a lot of children on the beach. They were almost all back views. I had people that would tell me, that reminds me of my sister and I when we were younger. Carolyn Meyer works with me. Carolyn does primarily San Francisco and New York, but her San Francisco scenes, boom, 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 they're so like that. 
Yeah, you know when you it's it's when you listen to this because you, you always think you know as when you're somebody who's a student, you think well I can paint San Francisco I can do that. It's like well, but are you really out there doing it? And there's got to be that that like you're saying you you were starting to tell the story, and that goes back to the earlier part of our conversation. It's like you have to be able to tell there needs to be a story that you can at least spoon feed somebody. It touches them somehow. And Carolyn is borderline on abstraction and bit paint. So she doesn't paint like Greg Gandy paints very pristine San Francisco scenes. Just gorgeous, beautiful, almost romantic, but haunting. And and he doesn't put a lot of people at him. Carolyn is almost both well, paint San Francisco scenes. These are in, our instructors. She's she's palette knife paint that might be you super know, oh, okay. <laughs> you can you can go out and you can see the paint coming off the canvas. Both of them do exquisite work. Both of them, you know, paint the same subject matter, but with two totally different points of view in terms of the way they paint. And so I think people find themselves. I've watched people get out of school doing this and 10 years later, they're doing something totally different and it's great. And it's like they grow. Graduation school is the beginning. It's mm -hmm. not the end. Okay. Okay. So uh, that, that, you know, I want to come back to a couple other ones, but maybe we can kind of loop them in, loop into them where, so you're saying, you know, if I go to school and I specialize in figurative, I should be thinking about abstract. I should be thinking about landscape as well. I should be doing other stuff or should I just specialize? Okay. The answer is yes. And yes. The reason being is the first thing I tell everybody is you, you have no idea what you're going to be doing five to 10 years from now. I graduated from school, never in the back of my mind, never ever considered teaching as one of the things I might do. Okay. It happened and I do it. And I still keep my other career going, but I do it. So the training is crucial. Now on the other side, if you are going to go into galleries, you do need that specialization, which brings me to two classes that we have here at the at school. It's in the undergraduate. That is call it intermediate painting studio and advanced painting studio, right? Sounds simple. <laughs> Those classes, you can take them in either order. Just title that way. But they're geared towards you developing a body of work. You're either going to do three or four pieces in the course of the semester guided by your instructor, whether it be abstract, whether it be portraiture, whether it be uh, cityscape, whether it be landscape. That's your call. And the instructor is your source, your guide through that. So that that's something that always sounds interesting because you know when we look at abstract and abstract painting is probably the most viewed upon as with the most criticism and critique. How how does an abstract painter or how does abstract painting and maybe this is a different type of question than what we're talking about, but how does abstract painting garner so much of this attention and, and, and financial attention. It touches them. It resonates with them. I took three abstract classes when I was in school. I was never interested in it. My final abstract class, I started going, wow, wait, there's something here. Abstract will, will teach a painter the value of the quality of paint, not necessarily the rendering of form, but the characteristics of paint. Uh, there was a, a landscape painter who became a phenomenal abstract expression, this guy named Hans Hoffman. And he was basically a landscape painter. And at some point in his career, he said, I want my paintings to be about the paint, not about the landscape. And so he began to switch. So that worked. With regard to uh, your comment, landscape is number two on the tier of what sells the best. So, and I think it doesn't offend anybody. <laughs> right? I, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to put it down. No, no, no. But that that that's that's an interesting way of looking at it because I know for on the photography side, there's so many people that 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 poo poo photography, landscape photography because it's like ah, it, it's trees. Well, and, and you know it it. But that your answer is far better. <laughs> the thing is, people can look at it as design and contemporary, and it might fit with what I've got going in my thing. And so there's all those things that come into play. To me, I'm just going to give you my opinion of abstraction. Abstract painting is great design with interesting paint qualities. Okay. Okay, that's that makes how, sense. That's how I look at abstraction. Great design with interesting paint qualities. But you can introduce mixed medium in also. And that can be another form. You, you need to be passionate about what you're doing. It will show whether you're doing abstract work, whether you're doing figurative work, 
and it, it will show the passion comes through. I believe that completely. Okay. 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 That, that is a very, that, that's, that's a good path for people to start thinking about with abstract. And, and that was not a setup because that's, I always have that, you know, a lot of people who go to art school or really get into art, start looking at abstract as going, that's that final frontier of, I understand this, or I'm getting to the point where I think I can understand abstract. Okay. They're, they're interesting. You bring that up because there is, there is a form of something that they have referred to for years called art speak. To me, uh, and I discussed this with a couple of vice presidents at uh, the previous art school I taught at, and art speak tends to be a form of discussion about art that can make someone that is not in the know feel like you're not as smart as me. You know what I'm saying? So in other words, if you know enough double talk or you can you can work your way and make somebody seem like, oh, you just don't get it. And it's not about getting it. I mean, sometimes it's nice to know the history of the artist. I mean, I think that's that's very helpful. Great abstract is not easy, is not easy. We get people that come through and think, oh, we just put paint up there. No, people that come through the academy that end up as abstract artists have to go through figure, the figure, the still life, the landscape. They have to go through all the genres of painting just like a, a figurative painter, we make them take an abstract class. So begin to understand a different way of thinking, a different way of working with paint. It's just good breadth education. And you know, before we get too artsy and, and stuff, I want to ask you just a few more of these businessy questions because you know when it all comes down to it, you know we we do have to make a living at it because like you said, you're going to get good, and the academy again is going to teach you to be good. And even if you're not going to the academy, your goal is the first goal is good. That goes without saying, but remember to be good. How do you price fine art? Well, here I, I ask students. So you sell a painting, and let's say you're going to sell a painting for twenty five hundred dollars. And I ask everybody in class, tell me the last time you wrote a check for $2,500. You don't do it. It's so it is. But for some people, that's not a lot of money. For some people, it's like, you know, it's like people that buy Porsches for $180,000, as opposed to someone who goes out and buys a, um, a you know, $17,000 used Toyota. So, you know, it's, you, you think about that as to how you price it. You price it to sell. That's a cop out, it sounds. But let me let me go further with that. When you first get out of school, uh, I had two young ladies many years ago at the academy, both exceptionally painters, really good. And I remember they had a show and their prices, I looked at prices and I went, oh my God, the prices are right where mine are for the same size painting. And I went, they didn't sell anything. And they were kind of disheartened. And I said, that's because you're an emerging artist. Nobody knows of you. Your pedigree, which val makes the value of your art go up. When you first come out of school, you don't have that. You have your pedigree is the school and maybe two or three people that bought work from you. So you're building that. So when you come out of school, your prices are lower. I know in our, in our class, they've been giving a formula and fine art I, I got to preface this by saying I came from a commercial art illustration where work is priced completely different than the way fine art. Work is priced by usage. What is it for? If I did a movie poster for a big movie, I got a lot of money for it. Right. And you have I, usage and, and intellectual property rights and licensing and all that. That's it. If I did an uh, illustration for a local brochure for uh, something just happening, I would get very, I mean, the, the discrepancy could be anywhere from 500 to uh, 15,000 for almost the same kind of art. Fine art's a little different. Fine art is, they, they galleries base things on size. So you, and- Without being indelicate, size matters. Yes. Okay. Yes, in fine art. And what it comes down to is you can kind of, I mean, many people look at it as square inches. And I know a, a formula they, they give some of the students, and it's, I, I use it as a rough one, is height times width times two. And I went, no, I, I like height times width times three or four. Uh, height times width, let me give you a simple example. Eight by 10, eight by 10. Everybody knows what an eight by 10 sheet of paper is. Eight by 10 is 80 square inches. So let's say you're gonna, eight by 10, 80 times two is 160. You can't charge $160. No, 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 no. Maybe 
eight by 10 times three, eight times 10 times four, I like that better. So I say it's, as you get bigger, your, your price may go down. But generally, I have a price list every time and occasionally I change it, uh, usually upward. When I give a gallery new pieces, I also give them my price list. This is my uh, nine by 12 price, my 11 by 14, my 24 by, by 36, my 30 by 40. I have a price list and I, have, I also have a price list for portraits, which are higher, much higher, almost double, much more difficult, much, you're not doing your own thing. Sure. Yeah. There, there's a very specific audience that, that is going to look at your work yes. and, and tear it apart multiple times a day. Now, one of the things you have to consider is uh, we have students that want, well, they look at this, well, this took me so much longer. Well, it's still a, you know, a 16, still a 16 by 20. And so if you're going to do something, you know, it's going to take you longer, do it bigger. If, I mean, think about it that type of thing. But generally, that's how prices work. It was very difficult for me to understand that. And Gallery explained it to me. They value the size. So you literally, it's priced by size. Now, when you talk about these pieces for auction, that's because of the, once again, that, that falls back to pedigree, history. That's, that's a totally different, different way of thinking. You can't start thinking that way. But you do not want to be, I'm going to use Carolyn Meyer's line, and I like to give her credit for it because I love it. You do not want to be your own best collector. Keep your prices affordable. If you have a show of 15 pieces and all of them but two sell, your prices are probably maybe you can raise them a little bit. But if you have a 15 pieces and none of them sell, don't raise your prices. Keep your prices. All right. You're better to start too low. And then as they sell, raise them. Okay. That, th there are millions more questions I want to ask you and I, we can't spend all day doing it, but because I really want to focus on business and, you know, when we talk to some more people, I'm going to, I'm going to wrangle you back in for some more of the arts, the art speak and the artsy, artsy fartsy stuff. But I want to kind of get some of your quick suggestions for, I'm thinking about, you know, my kid and we're going to do it this way. My kid, I think is a great painter. He does really good work. I want him to go to art school, but I also want him to make a living. So the art school, we're going to just go ahead and assume they're going to the Academy of Art University. They're going to meet with all you, know, you guys and come out a good artist. But now at 18, 19 years old, what should I be helping my student, my child, my nephew or niece who's really good at art? What should I be curating or pushing them to or helping them along with to be successful as an artist? And I know that's a horribly loaded question. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I know that's the hard one though. You're supposed to define it. You know, emotionally successful, you know, successful in shows, but the financial successful is important because that's what people need to keep going. I'll tell you, I learned this from my father not because he taught me this, but because of what happened with him. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's an old saying, right? Develop more than one stream of income is what I use. One of the things I'm I want to get our students involved in, I don't right now, but there is a great class in the illustration department licensing. That's another stream of income. So you license a painting you did, and all of a sudden they want to use it for a puzzle. They want to use it for anything. I, I, I can't even tell you. Prints, licensing. So that's another avenue. And the reason I say that, my dad worked for one company all his life and was also all of a sudden laid off. Never had anything else going. Right. Yeah. Very, very common. Still a goal for a lot of people today is to, you know, one that, job and I'm done. That taught me I don't want to ever end up in that situation. I don't ever want to be. So I've always worked with several streams of income. We, we talked about portraiture, galleries, teaching, licensing and shows that, that I've been in. So all those things, books, I've written two books. Now I'm talking about me, but there are many avenues that your child can go into, particularly if they're good. And we start, we always go back to that if they're good. They've got that good, solid basic. And they're a communicator. Get your kid to communicate because even communicating with a gallery is important. One of my galleries said, he came and talked to a bunch of my students and he says, well, he says, being in business with galleries like a marriage, 
you have to be able to communicate. You have to be able to explain yourself and understand what's going on. If a gallery says, look, we can't sell this kind of stuff, but you're, you've got to show me more of this. Some artists take that as an affront and they say, what? You know, it's like, how dare you tell me what I can and can't do? You know, uh, one thing I learned in illustration, I tell you, is that I learned to paint and draw things that I could care less about. I had no and make it look like I cared more than anything about it, because that's your job as you're getting a project from somebody. So I had a little bit of training in that arena. It's very helpful if you're open-minded and you can communicate. So those are the things that I would tell parents and encourage them. The best thing my parents ever did for me, parents, aunts, uncles, grandmother, everybody was very encouraging to me. So financially, I didn't have backing, but I had encouragement which actually was much more valuable in the long run. So I encourage, encourage, get them to communicate, get them to get them in a, a workshop or two, have them talk to a couple of artists. All those things is what you should be doing for your, your child. So there you have it, a true, and I hate to say it, masterclass into the world of fine art painting. And as more and more art and design career opportunities are on the rise, employers are always on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. And at the Academy of Art University, you will get those work-ready skills that employers and, of course, galleries want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco and, of course, anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request more info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including painting, illustration, game design, and more, Visit our website at academyart.edu slash creative mind. Thank you for listening. I'm Bobby Brill, and this has been Creative Mind.